um, busy with a sermon series on nation building because we believe that God loves South Africa. We believe that God was not mistaken when he had you born in South Africa. We believe that there is a destiny for you in this nation and there's a destiny for this nation in the world. Amen. Father, I just want to pray before we begin. Lord, I just ask that you would come and infuse this time with revelation from heaven, Lord God. We ask that every person here would come to know more of your kingdom, Lord God. Your truths would be on display, Lord God, that you would open our hearts to see what we need to see, to hear what we need to hear, to understand what we need to understand. I pray that every person would leave here more in love, of, in love with you, more understanding of your ways, more able to be effective in bringing your kingdom and more able to be effective in revealing Christ to others. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. I need to do that. There we go. If you remember last week, we spent some time talking about this, and we spoke about the fact that God cares about nations. We also talked about the fact that God gives nations to sons and daughters. I just couldn't fit daughters in that little circle, sorry. But God gives God gives um, nations to sons and daughters, people who carry his heart, his values, and how he looks at you, and he, he sees someone able to carry his kingdom into every area in which you live. And that Jesus inherits everything. And so that the, at the end of the age, we all stand accountable to him for what he gave us and for the opportunities that are in front of us. We all stand accountable for the skills that we have, for the privilege that we grew up with, even for the challenges that we face and how God is able to infuse all of those with his presence, take our hand, walk through them with us, and make us successful. I heard this one statement, that you are irrevocably condemned to victory. <laughs> you stick with Jesus, and you're going to get something good. He will, he will never allow his promises or his word to you. If you stick with him, he will never allow that. To become void in your life. He promised that his, vo his word will always re return. It will always return an increase in your life. Today I want to talk about a particular man in the Bible. You may have heard of him. His name was Daniel. We spoke about him last week. We talked about how him and a few of his friends were considered 10 times wiser than all the wise men of Babylon. We spoke about the fact that um, Daniel himself, we didn't speak about this, so I'm going to tell you about this. <laughs> Daniel, very interestingly enough, had been born a nobleman, born into nobility in Israel. But as a young man, he was carried off, off captive by the Babylonians, and he lived his entire life from about the age of 16, 17 as a slave in a foreign nation. Now, this may surprise you, but as we will read further on, he became one of the most influential men across three empires and four kings. No time in that entire in his entire life was he ever not a slave. His status as slave never changed. 
And yet, despite that incredible disadvantage that he faced, there was something inside of Daniel that knew who he was and that was able to rise past the label that was given to him by his society, appropriate the goodness of God, and release it to men and women who didn't even know God and didn't care. And release it in such a way that he became lauded as one of the great names in the most powerful civilization of the time. And at no time was he anything other than a slave. In case you haven't noticed, I'm a woman. <laughs> but you know, there have been times that I have, that's been a, a disadvantage. There have been times it's been an advantage, but there have been times that it's been a disadvantage in something that I was pursuing. And I, and I have, in those times, sometimes lamented the fact that God had given me a job to do that seemed to be resisted by my environment. And every time I thought that God brought this story just roaring back into my head. And I knew this. That if God is with me, who can be against me? I don't care what society calls you. I don't care how you grew up. I don't care what advantage or disadvantage you have had in your life. Daniel grew up with the greatest advantage being in the nobility of his society and then was put in the lowest possible place. He, ex he experienced the most extreme places in society and yet in both he was able to rise to the top. Because there were certain characteristics in his life that he, he just wouldn't let go of. And we're going to talk about those. The story we're going to be looking at is in Daniel 6. You can look at it in your Bible, or you can just go and read it. It's quite a long story, so I'm just going to give you a synopsis, if that's okay. If I had to look at a way of writing a newspaper headline for the story, I would probably write it like this. The day the lions went on a Daniel fast. <laughs> because we often look at it. <laughs> Listen, if my husband thinks I'm funny, then I'm really funny. <laughs> but we often look at it from the perspective of Daniel. But can you imagine being one of those lions? You know the story. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, and there's an angel. And these lions have probably been starved for weeks. And here the perfect meal is dropped before them, and an angel stands in front of them and goes, uh-uh. But there's a principle in the Bible is that you give the, if you give the first fruits of all your earnings and all your wealth and all your success to God, he brings an increase. They couldn't eat Daniel. Daniel's lifted out, and lo and behold, all the astrologers, magicians, and all the ones that wanted Daniel dead are thrown in. Bam, and the angel says, have fun. <laughs> so there's a principle in that, tithe. <laughs> but that's not what I wanted to say. Well, I did want to say that, but now I've said it, I'll move on. Is that Daniel... Daniel had risen to be very prominent. Around this time, he was around 85 years old. But he had lived a life from the age of about 17, like I said, in a foreign nation, 
this, this foreign nation had been taken over by different civilizations. So he, as I said, this was the third king under which he served. But in air, under every dispensation, he, he rose to beca- become one of the leaders of the government and one of the leaders of society. It talks about the fact that at this time, in his prominence, and I'll, I'll actually read the specifics to you in a little bit, many of the other government officials of the time grew jealous of the favor that Daniel had. And they went to the king, the king's name was Darius, and they said to Darius, why don't you write a law? They, they were kind of flattering him. You're the greatest king ever. Why don't you write a law that for one whole month, no one in the kingdom can worship anything else but you? Yeah. And of course, the king is thinking, gosh, that sounds like a great law. Yeah, sure, let me write it down. And they, they had another law in that time that anything the king wrote down was law forever. It couldn't be repealed. Yeah. So they wrote this down. He wrote this down and it became an edict across the whole empire that no one could worship anything but the king. Of course, this was completely unacceptable to Daniel, who for 85 years had been serving God, and he said, I'm not stopping now. The Bible says it in a very interesting way. It says that he he opened his windows. In other words, not only am I going to serve my God, but I'm going to serve my God publicly. I'm going to do it in a way that lets everyone know that I am not afraid of any king. I'm not afraid of any law. I'm going to do what God has given me to do. And I'm going to do it in a way that people know that I'm serving God. And it says three times a day he prayed toward Jerusalem. I don't think the towards Jerusalem particularly made a difference, but I think he was trying to make a statement. And he was brought then, obviously, before the king and saying, and they said, Oh, king, you wrote this law, and here your favorite Daniel has been disobeying your law. And the king, it's very obvious for the, from the way it's written in Daniel 6 that the king was desperate to get out of this law, but he couldn't because he loved Daniel. And Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, and a stone is rolled over the entrance. It's sealed with the king's signet ring. And then the king goes to bed and it says he didn't sleep the whole night. It says he didn't eat the whole night. I don't know what he normally did at night, but it says he he didn't eat and he didn't have any entertainment. So I can't imagine what his nights normally were like, but nonetheless, he didn't sleep, he didn't eat, and he had no entertainment. And he was just obviously tossing and turning and worrying about Daniel in the lion's den. It says in the morning he ran to the place where the den was. Kings in those days didn't run. They hardly walked. They were usually carried. But nonetheless, he, he girded up his loins and he headed out there. And he calls out, Oh, Daniel, has the God who you serve continually been able to rescue you? And Daniel calls out, Do not fear, O king. My God has sent an angel and he has stopped the mouths of the lions. Now, You've heard many times, Andrew and I talk about our time in Namibia, which was fantastic in many ways and life-changing in many other ways. But there was a particular place in Namibia where you could go for lunch. It was a beautiful lodge with a beautiful, beautiful scenery. But what this lodge had done is they had collected four lions from the north of Namibia that were man-eaters. They used to hunt people. And obviously, the farmers in that place were going to kill those lions 
for very obvious reasons. They said, no, we'll take them and we'll put them in the, in the secure pen, large, many hectares large, and they can live out their lives there. So you could go to this place and then you could go to the special viewing place and watch when they fed these lions. And we went once or twice to watch. And you know, I don't think television does it justice. You know, really, they would, they would winch out these pieces of meat. And, you know, I don't know if you really know how big a lion is. But it's, it's just, it's enormous. I mean, it stands like, like here. And it's nothing but muscle. And when they are, like, pulling at that meat, it's like they are ripping bones, meat, just like it's nothing. And then the one time we were there, two of the lions actually began to fight over this meat. And you know what? I have never seen such raw brute force. Just the two of them at their muscles rippling, um, what are these things called? Claws out, teeth bared. And you know, I just suddenly thought, that's what Daniel faced. I mean, uh, this is a terrible story, but sometime later, the winch that took the meat out to these lions got broken, and a man foolishly decided to go out and unhook it. He was dead. He was dead in a minute. I mean, just nothing. And he, yeah, the truth is he had raised them, these lions. So, you know, there was no, these lions don't think, oh gosh, this is a sweet person. Let's just not eat him. So I don't want to shock you, but what I want to say is, it is physically impossible for the lions to just have thought, we don't feel like eating this person now. It's really physically impossible. It is one of, it's just an incredible miracle that he spent the whole night with these lions and nothing happened. It talks about the king so mad afterwards that these people had dared to try and harm his favorite. Gathered up all the people who had asked him to make this edict. He not only gathered them, but he gathered their wives and their children. Yeah, I know. And he threw them in. And it says, before their bodies reached the ground, the lions had taken them. I mean, what I get from that is, gosh, be careful who you marry. <laughs> I chose well. You can't have this one. I'm pretty sure if Andrew and I get thrown into a lion's den, because I'm with him, I'll be fine. Daniel 6 verse, 6 verse 1 and 2 says this. It gives an idea of the kind of person that Daniel was. It says this. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. So satraps were like um, government officials, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He's still a slave, guys. And that's when the people got so jealous about him. 
Right at the end of the chapter, it says this, the king issued a decree that in every part of his kingdom, people would fear and reverence the God of Daniel. I just want you to imagine for a moment the situation that you are in at work, amongst your family. Some of you are experiencing persecution for being a Christian. It's maybe not being thrown into a lion's den. Praise the Lord for that. But maybe people choose not to give you work or they uh, are harder on you because they know you're Christian. Or maybe they just don't really care. But something we can learn from Daniel's life is that you stay true to God no matter what your environment says. You choose to be excellent in everything you do. And at the end of everything, your bosses, the people around you, your family will be saying this thing. I decree that in every part of my life and my environment, everyone must fear and reverence the Lord Lord God that you serve. Your life will be a testimony to create environments where the kingdom rules and reigns. That is a baby eagle, believe it or not. I know it looks like a baby chicken or a baby. I mean, it's hard to imagine that that thing grows into something beautiful. But that's, you know, moms, that's how we feel about our babies, hey? I mean, no matter what they look like, we are absolutely sure that they're going to be eagles and lions. We never think about them as being warthogs or turkeys. Other people see them like this. We see them as absolutely magnificent. But I want you to imagine the story of an eagle that is born looking like that. No one can tell it's an eagle. And it gets mixed up with some baby turkeys. And to be honest, it doesn't look very different from a baby turkey. And it grows up its whole life believing that it's a turkey. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It really, really doesn't matter what kind of skills or ability that eagle has. It's probably never going to try and fly because all its, its turkey brothers and sisters are spending all their time gobbling, gobbling, gobbling at the... Uh, you, you know my... Did you ever read any of those books when you were young? I know you did. Those books that tell you what farm animal, the noises farm animals make. I've never heard a turkey in my life, but they always told me that the turkeys went gobble, gobble. So I believe it. So here's, here's this little eagle just running around, picking at the ground, picking up the ground, just picking anything it can find as turkeys do and kind of scavenging around, wondering why it didn't look as great as its brothers and sisters around it. not knowing that that's what it was meant to be. And I feel like for many of us, you know, I I feel like our environment is is trying to speak something to us. And sometimes it's hard to remember who God made us to be. I feel like for all of us, we have a choice. Will we believe our environment or will you believe the words whispered into our spirit, man, by our heavenly father? That as you wait on me, you will rise on wings as eagles. You will run and not go weary. You will walk and not faint. 
What you choose <laughs> will determine your destiny. <laughs> yeah. An eagle is destined to roam free. <laughs> Actually, one of the primary things that eagles eat are snakes. Praise the Lord. We eat the devil for breakfast. I'm just telling you that, ladies and gentlemen. That is who we are. Or in fact, you can become a prized, beautiful, plump dinner. Your, your beliefs determine your destiny. Who you believe yourself to be will determine what you will actually become. And you know, that was the profound thing about Daniel, is that no matter what he was experiencing around him, he refused to believe that that who, who is who he was. In his heart of hearts, he knew, I'm destined to lead nations. I'm destined to deliver wisdom to kings. And I hear God speaking to each and every one of you. Remember who you are, son. Remember who you are, daughter. You know, really, I've been in many situations where every single person in the room, when I spoke, they just start kind of interrupted me and spoke other things. I've been in rooms where I've been sitting next to my husband and I've stood up and said things and my husband said, the, and no one took any notice of me. My husband said the exact same thing and everyone said, that's fantastic. <laughs> I know he was just handsomer. But you know, the, those environments have the potential to define you to you. And it's so important that we don't let them define us. It's so important that we dig deep into our souls and we hear the voice of God telling us, son, daughter, rise up. You're destined to lead. You're destined to rule. You're destined to govern. You're destined to love. You're destined to lead. You're destined to teach. You're destined to be wise. I heard this phrase. Oh, I told you, the condemned to victory. You got that. Sorry, I couldn't remember. Genesis 15 verse 6 says this about Abraham, who is known as the father of faith. It says that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. There's a fantastic principle in the Bible and it goes like this. That your faith actually creates a new reality. This righteousness that was credited to him isn't just that he was a good man. It's a, that righteousness means it, it's a state of being without sin, praise the Lord. But it was a state of being prosperous and whole. And it was a state of being empowered by God to do things he couldn't do on his own. It's a righteousness that's far more than just being a good person. It's a righteousness that means I am above and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. And you know what? As Christians, we are destined to lead not as domineering, forceful enforcers. We are destined to lead as godly, wise influencers. And I'm here to tell you that no matter whether you have a title or not, 
no matter whether people actually recognize you or not. This is your destiny. And as you stick with God, that is what will come to pass in your life. Another lesson I can learn from Daniel is that excellence opens doors. <laughs> I didn't even need a slide. I could have just asked Rona. One of our paintings is of an open door. I've heard many people, I have many people across the counseling table, and they, they sometimes bemoan the fact that they're not treated well at work. And then I ask them, well, tell me about how, how you're performing at work. And sometimes they will tell me things like, I don't always get my assignments in on time. You know, sometimes I'm just irritated, so I don't do them as well as I need to do. It, it's not persecution when you're not promoted because you haven't been doing your work. It's really not persecution. It's just the logical conclusion of your actions. Someone once was on an assignment with me. We, were, we had been assigned to write a particular teaching manual, and we were writing it, and he was just not handing in his stuff, and he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. And I went to him, and I said, why aren't you doing this? He says, I don't know if they're really going to use this, so I, I don't want to put the time and the work into it to get it done. And as I was listening to him, something just occurred to me, and I said this to him. I said, you know, there is no work that is ever wasted because I'm not working for the people that have asked me for this stuff. I'm working so that I can grow. I'm working so that I can grow, that I can know something, so I can challenge myself beyond where I have been. I am working so that I can be a better person. And the funny thing about it is that they never used that course. And I put a lot of work into it. But you know what? The next course I had to write, man, I was good at it. Because I'd been practicing. And I feel like there's something about realizing who we're doing this for. That we're living for an audience of one. I want you to think about who God is. His absolute magnificence. A definition of his glory is a manifestation of his excellence. You have the opportunity in every situation that you find yourself to manifest the glory of God by doing it excellently. Is that when you give your all and when you perform at a high level or you, and you put everything into it, it speaks to the, the people around you of a God who's outstandingly glorious. You know, everything that I put my hand to, I think about this is that when I stand before God at the end of my life and this is rolled out, will I be able to say, God, this was for you? Romans 16 verse 19 and 20 says this, which I just love. But I want you to be wise or excellent in what is good and simple or innocent concerning evil, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. 
When I give of my best, it's like that foot of Jesus that is on the enemy's head just goes down an inch. I'm going to tell you this story, but it's again from Namibia. We did actually have some other experiences. Not everything that happened in our lives happened in Namibia, but just this one happened to be there. But I remember the time when Andrew got sick, and I there was no one to take over the church, and I, I had to do it. And I was busy leading the church, and I was the first time I stood up to preach, four men got up and walked out. It's a bit daunting. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're trying to keep track of where you are, and these guys are just standing up one by one and leaving. And then another one fell asleep. Don't fall asleep while I preach. I'm telling you, it's just like a red rag to a bull. <laughs> yeah, I see you. <laughs> but I remember as they were walking out, God saying to me, don't fear them. I am with you. Everything that you have, just give to it and see what I will do. Do you know that within six weeks, every single one of those men had come back? And one of them came up to me and he said this. He looked me in the eye and he says, now I know that a woman can lead a church. <laughs> and he became my like, most loyal supporter. Anyone just even messed with him, and he was a big guy. You know, he was like, there, huh? This is my pastor. But, you know, I had a choice then. I could have been demoralized by that experience and then just not given my all to it. And then they would have come back and said, yes, we see, a woman can't lead a church. But I feel like what, what excellence does is that it opens doors. And, you know, we're not being excellence just to perform, to get a, gain acceptance. Excellence is this, is that I have seen the glory of God. I have seen what God has done for me. And nothing but my best is worth who he is. And you know what? Excellence doesn't mean that I have to be perfect. It means I have to be the best that I can be. And maybe for you that's different for how it is from someone else. But it means that in every situation I am going to grow and learn and be as good as I can be. That is Martin Luther King Jr. over there on your right. He made the statement which I think is so great. He said, if a man... Is called to be a street sweeper. He should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. You know, I just wonder what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. We had a, Andrew and I had a friend who used to be an administrator at his people, Rosebank, and he died suddenly of a heart attack. He was one of those guys that hated to be in the limelight, but he just worked exceptionally hard behind the scenes. You just asked him for one thing, and he moved heaven and earth to make it happen. He was just excellent in all he did and just really committed to the kingdom of God in his way. And after he passed away, I... We had been praying, and I, 
you know, the grief of my heart was such that, God, I, I just need to see him well with you. I need to know that he's not in pain. He's not, <laughs> he's not upset with us, you know, whatever. All the silly things that go through your mind at times like that. Um, and, you know, immediately I just had this vision. And in this vision, I saw him walking into heaven. You know, guys, it was just the most amazing thing. I, I saw him walking just into the presence of God and like these huge doors opened into the throne room and the angels and just people on the right and the left. And as he walked in, the applause, it's like the standing ovation and the applause and the cheering. And they're like, it's like, it's like the greatest hero ever had walked in. And Jesus got off his throne and walked to him and he came and he said, well done, my son. Well done, my son. And, you know, we'd been praying to raise him from the dead. And as I saw this vision, I saw Jesus ask him, would you like to go back? And, you know, he just looked around him at the glory that he was just enfolded in. And he said, no, this is where I want to be. This is what I was born for. But what I wanted to tell you about that is just, you know, I, I think we underestimate what God, what God sees. You know, and I want to tell you those, those times, moms, when you get up in the middle of the night to clean up the throw up. Sorry that I have to even say these words in church, but they're real. They happen. You know, you get up to, to clean up the throw up and the mess and you'd rather be sleeping. We used to just like strip the beds and put everything in the bath because, you know, you don't know what else to do. I'll deal with it in the morning. But... No one sees, but God sees. And when you do it with a smile on your face, even though inside there's like that creaking and groaning of you fighting against your own attitude, God sees. When your boss turns to you and with a snarl on his face tells him that you're no good, tells you that you're no good, and you turn to him with a smile on your face and say, I'm going to do better next time. Or, God loves you. I don't know what you're going to say in that time. <laughs> but you return it with gentleness and peace. You know what God sees every time? When you get up early, when no one else knows, so that you can get your work done on time, God sees. When you can, so that you can take care of your family, God sees. Those nights of praying for your loved one, God sees. And the excellence of your life will open a door that no man can shut. Because God is looking for men and women that he can entrust with great things. The last thing I wanted to say about Daniel is that he demonstrated this truth that perseverance lets us finish strong. At 85, after, on his third king and second empire, I mean, I just want to ask you this. What do you want to do at 85? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if ruling a nation is going to be on top of my list. It's going to be like a nice cottage somewhere on a beautiful beach. But you know, Daniel, through them all, he just persevered and he carried on. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible in one of his other books, described the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. Just keep doing what's right and then do it again 
and then do it again and then do it again. Proverbs 4 verse 18 says this, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter to the full light of day. I don't care where you start. I know where you'll end. I don't care where you've come from, how low or how high, how much advantage or disadvantage you have begun with. I know this. That if you keep following God and you keep walking with him, your end will be glorious. Amen. Your beliefs determine your destiny. Excellence opens doors. Perseverance lets us finish strong. Yeah, that's great. Father, I thank you for each person here. Thank you that your, your presence rests on us. Lord God, thank you, Lord God, that there are people here that are destined to lead nations. There are people here that are destined to lead companies. There are people here who are destined to lead families, and there are people here that are, are meant to do incredible exploits that nobody knows but you. And Father God, I want to pray for each and every one of them, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would give them skill beyond their natural ability. I pray you would give them ability beyond their natural strength. Lord God, I pray you would give them a revelation of a God who is unconquerable. I pray you give them a revelation of your glory and your goodness, your faith and your power, Lord. And Father God, I pray from inside out they would be transformed by the revelation of Christ. And I ask, Lord God, that everything they put their hands to would be excellent, outstanding, godly, true, effective. And when they fail, as we all do, Lord God, that they wouldn't see that as a determiner of who they are, Lord God. They would, they would take it as a chance to learn and grow. Father God, I ask that the scripture would be true, that daily their walk would be from one place of strength to another, from one place of glory to another. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, my Father. With heads bowed, I just am going to ask this. If, there, if you are here and you, and you know that you, even though you're in church, or you might have been in church a lot, that you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, or you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, but you would like to redo that because you know you haven't been living that. you would like to commit yourself to saying, God, I, I want to live this kind of life, but I want to live it because you're with me, and I want to change the way I've been living so that you're in charge and I'm not in charge. And if there's anyone like that, I would love you to just raise your hand because I would love to pray for you. Is there anyone here who would like to make that commitment? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to do that? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Church, can I ask you all if you wouldn't mind standing? And those of you who have um, raised your hands, I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind doing something for me.
just as a way of stating that this is a new day and that you want to live differently, I'm going to ask you to pick up your stuff that you've brought with you and come out to the front here so that I can lay hands on you and pray for you. Those people who raise their hands, if you wouldn't mind doing that, can we give them a hand as they come, church? Awesome. Just come to the front. Church, can we just pray this all together? Lord Jesus, just follow me. Lord Jesus, I come and I give my life to you. Lord, I repent and turn away from the way I've been living. And I turn to you, Lord. I ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for what you did on the cross, would you change me in Jesus' name? All of God's people said, Amen and Amen and Amen. Lord, I just pray for these. Would you come and fill them with more of your presence and more of your power? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.